Hey, New Life Church, Bronson Duke here. Thanks for listening in. The heart of our church is that you would know Jesus, that you would walk with Jesus, and you would learn how to live like he lived. We hope that this message equips you and empowers you on your journey walking with Jesus. If we could, stand to your feet, up, down, up, down, up, down. Uh, stand for the reading of God's word. The reason we do this, if, if you're new to our community, this is the most powerful point in the service. When we read God's word aloud, this is where we know God has spoken to us. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. As the words are up on the screen and as Miss Melody reads it, just look through. Look for things that jump out to you. Ask that, that God would bring things to your heart, bring things to your mind, and then we're going to walk through this passage together. Cool? Yep. All right, let's read it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it's powerful, and God, it's a gift to us that's written through the ages. God, it was penned by men, but it was inspired by you. God, we believe that you're the creator of all things. God, that you spoke and things came into being. God, we thank you that when we missed it, God, you put together a rescue plan, and you sent Jesus to redeem and to be all that humanity could be so that we could live out and be all you've called us to be. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that enables us to live that life. And so, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would come. Come, Holy Spirit, speak to us, be with us. We are your church, we are your people, you are our God. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hey, you can take a seat. Um, well, as I said, my name is Bronson. Uh, if, you're, if you're new to our community, uh, we, we planted about five years ago uh, here in the downtown area. And we're in a series right now called Humans. Thank you, Eric. See you in a little bit. Um, we're, we're in a series called Humans, and it, it's interesting. I, I wonder if you've ever said this before. Have you ever said something like, I'm only human? Anybody ever said that? Was it a positive? Was it a positive thing? I'm human. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't positive, right? It's negative. You're like, I'm only human. That's why I do the things that I do. But here's what's interesting. If we go and study humanity, God's intention for humans is that we would be his image bearers. And so he had a vision for us to thrive and to flourish, to be like him, to be culture creators, and to be people who bring life into the spheres that we walk into. And so I believe that God has called us as his people to be the ultimate image of what a human being can be. Now, does that mean that we don't make mistakes? Absolutely not, not on this side of things. But what that means is, empowered by the Holy Spirit, as we go through life, our goal is that when we get to the end of our days, we're stronger and we're healthier than we are right now. Amen? And so if you're in your 20s, our prayer is that as you walk with God, you'd be better in your 30s, and you'd be better in your 40s. If you're in your 70s, you're going to kill your 80s, okay? That, that is our goal, is that we just continue to grow and grow and grow into the image of Christ. But here's the issue, is that everything in our world wars against that. Everything in our world is seeking to deform you from the image that God has called you to 
be. Last week, we talked about desire. Uh, the, the reality is, is that our heart, our desires are a compass that lead us towards our unique vision of the good life. Everyone say the good life. Everyone has a vision of the good life. And, and here's what I found. So often, relational breakdowns are not based on preferences, but they're based on divergent visions of the good life. And so what God has called us to do is he says we're to seek first what? The kingdom of heaven. How do we do that? The question really is, how do we form our deformed hearts, right? If our hearts form our lives, how do we form our hearts? It's through our habits, right? Humans are shaped by habits. And so if we want to change our desires, we have to change our habits because you hunger for what? What you feed yourself, right? This is the way that we're designed. So if we want to walk out and if we want to live out the kingdom, what we have to do is we have to put habits in place that change our hearts and enable us to love the things that God's called us to love. Does that make sense? You guys with me? Okay, so this week, uh, we're, we're going to look these next two weeks at the things that form us and shape us. So this week, we're going to look at culture. Next week, we're going to look at religion, Okay. And so this week, we're going to look at something called cultural liturgies, okay? Everyone say liturgy. We're, we're going to get into what that is, but we're going to look at the liturgies of our culture. These are rituals and habits of our culture that shame, or that, that, that shape and form our lives. And so I want to give you a thesis. Uh, th this is the general thesis that I'm, I'm working off of, if you're taking notes. We must resist the cultural liturgies that subtly try to form us. We do this by transforming our desires through Christian habits disciplines, and liturgies that reshape our hearts to desire the kingdom of God. Uh, Proverbs 27, 19 says this. It says, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Um, I, I wonder if this has ever happened to anyone before. Uh, you're leaving work, and you're just steaming mad. Anybody? Like, you had a confrontation with your boss, like, either at the end of the day or something, and you're replaying that argument in all the ways that if, you, if you'd been a little quicker in the moment, you would have just let them have it, right? You would have torn them verbally, like, limb from limb, right? Like, so you're going through this, you get in the car, and you're just angry, and you're processing through this, and you're going through all the stuff that's said, and how they don't understand this anymore because they've been in management too long, they don't know what sales is like anymore, and you're going through all this stuff, and the next thing you know, you're sitting in your driveway, and you have absolutely no idea how you got there, right? Has anybody had that experience? You're driving, or you're going places, and, 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 and you just end up there. Here's what's interesting. So much of what we do as human beings is actually unconscious behavior. What does that mean? It, it means that we have certain habits that we've learned through life, and, and we do most of our lives without critically thinking about what we're doing. I was reading a study uh, earlier this week, and it said uh, about 95% of what we do at a given time is unconscious. Like 95% of what we do in most days is unconscious. 5% we critically think and make decisions. The rest of it is just reactionary. Now, if you remember when you first started learning how to drive a car, how difficult was it, right? It was stressful, you're sweating, your mom and dad are like yelling at you, and they're telling you like, make sure you look at your mirrors, and there's all these different things, blinkers, and you know, the yield signs, and the stop signs, and you can't drive with two feet, you drive with one foot, right? Some of you guys are still doing that. That's wrong, don't do that. You're gonna wear out your brakes, okay? 
But then over time, it becomes easier and it becomes easier and it becomes easier. Here's what I want to submit to you. If we can develop the ability to drive a moving bomb, right, without any thought, is it possible we've, we've developed other unconscious habits as well? Is it possible that we've developed other unconscious habits that aren't productive but are in fact destructive for us? So much of what we do in love is based on things, here's what I want to submit, that we have uncritically examined. So many of us, myself included, have, have worldviews, we have thoughts, we have belief systems that exist because we're just reflecting back at the world what the world has reflected at us. Psychologists refer to these acquired unconscious thoughts and habits as automatices. Uh, for the same reason Aristotle called them second nature, it's because these are ways we move through the world without thinking about it. James K. Smith, uh, which is our, I forgot both services, recommended reading for this series. You are what you love, James K. Smith, phenomenal. I'm robbing it blind every week. He says this, he says, dispositions and habits can be inscribed in our unconscious if we regularly repeat routines and rituals that we fail to recognize as formative practices. I wonder if you have any places in your life where you do something and then you ask yourself the question, why did I do that? Anybody? Certain ways that you react to certain stimuluses or certain vices or certain things that you have. Here's what I want to submit. We, we hunger for what we feed ourselves. The habits that we put in place form us into who we are, and I'll prove it to you. How many of you guys have ever tried to spend less time on your cell phone? And the next thing you know, your phone is in your hand, and you're in what app? What is it? What is it for you? Yell it out. You're just in it, right? You're in Instagram or you're in whatever that thing is and you're like, I told myself I was never gonna do this again, right? Or like I told myself I was gonna spend less time on my phone but I just can't stop, right? It, it, it is an unconscious habit that we have picked up and here's what I wanna submit. It's actually destructive for us and it's disordering our hearts. What we're gonna focus in on, we're, we're gonna talk about cultural liturgies, but I really wanna zero in on our cultural liturgy of technology use, okay? And so I, I wanna look and see uh, how this has shaped us. Habits shape humans, and it's not our intentions, but our habits that shape us into who we are. This morning, we're gonna call these habits liturgies, okay? So what's a liturgy? Uh, you might be thinking, isn't liturgy like something that happens in the Catholic Church, or isn't that something that happens in the Anglican Church? Like, we don't really have liturgy as evangelical Protestants, right? Well, yes and no, right? Everything is liturgy. Liturgy is just basically an order of life or an order of worship. So for, for our, our, our basis today, it's going to be life. So like for us, we as a church have a liturgy. What is it? We come in, we play a really upbeat praise song, Right? And, and we, we like shake, shake off the morning, right? That first song's always gonna be upbeat, it's gonna be praised, and then it's gonna come down a little bit. 
and we're going to get a little bit more reflective, and then we're going to end with like a big moment, and then the MC is going to come up, and he's going to say, welcome home to New Life Church. I'm so glad you're here, right? And then at the end, he's going to say, turn around, high five somebody next to you. We'll be right back with you. And then the pastor's going to come up, and he's going to say something light at the beginning, right? And he's going to get into the sermon. And at the end, we're going to do a call to response, and then we're going to do response songs. We've got our candles and all these things that are going to happen. Then we're going to do offering, and then we're going to do announcements, and you're going to go home, and hopefully you're going to eat something delicious, right? That's our liturgy for the morning, right? We have, have y'all picked this up? We, we have this. We do the same thing every week. There's a reason why we do those things. Our habits form us, right? And so human beings, like y'all, we, we are emotional beings. This is something that often churches underestimate or overestimate, right? So you can either use it to manipulate people or you can use it to lead people. If you underestimate it and you don't use it at all, you are bored, Right? Do you like going to church and like sleeping through it, whatever? No, we don't like that. You know who doesn't underestimate it though and uses it well are advertising agencies, right? They're not pulling on your mind, they're pulling on your heart, right? Because what do they know? It's our hearts that lead our lives. Whether we like it or not, we don't do what we think, we do what we desire. And, and what all this ultimately comes down to is what we most desire, we most, we most worship, okay? And then we put liturgies, we put practices in place in our lives, things that we do that form our hearts to desire that thing more and more. Are you all with me? What I want to look at together this morning is how do we as Christians resist these things that seem seemingly innocent as cultural practices and liturgies that are deeply aspiring to recruit our hearts and our imaginations. Paul lays out a plan for us in Romans 12. Let's dig into it. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to Jewish and Gentile Christians in the heart of the Roman Empire, the city of Rome. Now, these people were surrounded by some of the fiercest cultural liturgies of their day, and they were smack dab in the center of all the political life of Rome. This is like Washington, D.C. and New York City all in one place, okay? So you have all the cultural forces of politics, you have all the cultural forces of pop culture all in the same spot. And what the Apostle Paul is saying, don't conform to the patterns of Rome, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind to the person of Christ. Now, Romans, just like at us, just like us, had a cultural vision of human flourishing. And they had cultural liturgies to go with it. Nationalism was massive for them. Uh, they, they had a saying that was, Caesar is Lord. Does that sound familiar? What do we say about Jesus? Jesus is Lord, right? These two things were in opposition to each other. They had the Colosseum. This is a place where slaves from conquered kingdoms would come and kill each other for the Romans' enjoyment. This communicated that Rome and its citizens were at the top of the socioeconomic pile and everyone else was beneath them. It was a cultural liturgy that formed their imagination around these things. You know, we have similar practices in our culture, all right? We don't watch people get fed by lions except for in the movies. But we do have like these dating shows, like The Bachelor, right? Where we watch people get consumed by immaturity and emotion. <laughs> it's like, it is like the most brutal thing on television. For me as a father and a pastor, I can't, I can't, I can't handle it. I'm like, where's your parents? Like, <laughs> someone help this girl. Like, he's not that great. He just made out with her, you know? It's like, you watched it. 
I can't watch it. It's too gruesome, you know? <laughs> you know, it's clear here in our text. How am I going to bring this back to the text? <laughs> that Paul is holding up two liturgical patterns of living. He, he's holding up the pattern of Christ, and he's holding up the pattern of the world. And, and the question we have to ask ourselves is what liturgy or what pattern are we most living into? And, and what is living these liturgies producing in us? What liturgies are we most living into and what's living these liturgies producing in us? You know, the first work is to recognize what's happening. Because when you recognize what's happening, then you can engage with it. And this requires us examining things we do without thinking and asking ourselves the question, what is this producing? So first we have to recognize, then we can resist. We cannot fight what we cannot see. We cannot engage with, with, what, with what we don't think about. You know, knowledge is power, right? Once we know, then we can do the work of reformation and renovation of our hearts. We have to see, guys, here's what I want you to see. This is something I missed for years of my life. Everything we do is formative. Everything we do is formative. Nothing we do is passive. And so what we have to ask ourselves is what are we doing most? What is it producing in us? And who are we becoming? James K.A. Smith, we'll call him Smithers. That's a long name. <laughs> he, he, he says this. He says, uh, we unconsciously learn to love rival kingdoms because we don't realize we're participating in rival liturgies. Number one, we must recognize what we worship. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Y'all, worship is a matter of the whole life. It's not what we do on Sundays. This is a part of our worship. We use the word liturgy. This is part of our liturgy, but it's just a part. If all we do is come and attend on Sundays, we'll never grow into who we want to be. We'll never grow into who God has called us to be. Why? Because there are so many forces of worship and formation in our world, and we are not that strong, right? We'll become formed. Uh, David Foster Wallace said this. I, I read this last week, but I, I want to read it again because I think it's so helpful. He's an atheist, but this is what he said. He said, in the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everyone worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. If you worship money and things, if they're where you, find, they're, they're where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You'll never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified in myths and proverbs and cliche and bromides and epigrams and parables, the skeleton of every great story. The trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. Worship power and you'll feel weak and afraid. And you'll need ever more power over others to keep fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of feeling found out. The insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful, it's that they're unconscious. 
Here's the question we have to ask ourselves. It's not, do I worship? It's, what do I really worship? And what you spend most of your time doing and thinking about will reveal to you what you truly worship. What am I regularly immersed in? This is something I just want you to think critically about for a moment. What are you regularly immersed in, and what is it doing to you? Another way to say it is, what are you worshiping? I think a really important question, if we're going to talk about worship, and we're going to talk about culture, is we have to ask the question, what are the gods of our culture? What are the cathedrals we worship them in? And what are their formational liturgies? You with me? What are the gods? What are their cathedrals? And what are their formational liturgies? So, number two. Number one, um, we have to recognize what we worship. Number two, we must resist cultural formation. Resist cultural formation. Romans 12.2 says, do not conform to the what? To the pattern. To the pattern. To the pattern. So let's look at a couple of the gods. This isn't all of them. This is just a few. And we're going we're gonna to zero in, just for sake of time. We, we, we've, we're going to zero in on one spot. So the gods of our culture, I would say these are some of them, are entertainment, technology, influence and fame, Image and identity, physical appearance, and sex. What is the cathedral of these gods? It's the cell phone. <laughs> it's the cell phone. That is where we worship. And what are their liturgies? Let's just think about the patterns in the liturgies. How well trained our cell phones have us, right? What's the first thing you do in the morning? You check your phone. What app do you open? Just curious. Yell it out. We all do it, right? When we take our breaks, when we, when we need some space, we just need, I need to clear my head. What do we do? We get on our phones, right? Moms or dads, when you're like, I just need a break from the kids, what do you do? You go pretend to go to the bathroom and you sit on your what? Your phone. We wind down with it, Right? I'm just trying to decompress from the day. I just need some me time. It's our phones. We rock ourselves to sleep, scrolling through it, and we wake up every day and we do it all over again. It's forming us. It's shaping us. Y'all, the algorithm of the apps we use are designed to feed our hunger, right? They are not designed to make us healthy. They're designed to make us hungry, right? And so what do they feed us? They, they feed us unsustainable images. They, they try, they, there's bait. Every one of us has a certain type of bait that they feed us, right? They pay attention. Y'all, I got on TikTok one time. I lost three hours and I said never again. It's, it, it, it's meth, Okay. It is the scariest, it is the most terrifying thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm like, I can't handle this. You know, like, I'm not, I can't do it. You know, it, it's digging into our base desires for sex, for notoriety, for attention. It, it's also digging into our base insecurities for comparison and envy. You know, listen, when we were kids, we suspected people were hanging out without us, Right? 
Y'all remember that? I think they're hanging out without me. Like, I think there's a party I heard, and you sit at your house, and you sit there, and you're kind of steaming, but you're like, I think there's a party going on nobody invited me to. Kids now know, right? <laughs> they don't have to sit around and worry about our people hanging out with me. It's right there. Like, I'm watching it happen, right? <laughs> Comparison and envy, it stirs up all of these things in us. And why do they do it? So they can sell your attention to advertisers. <laughs> Right? What we have to critically think about is is why do the top execs and CEOs of tech companies not let their kids have it? Because they recognize that it is a drug that deforms the human heart and is destructive for us and does not lead us into flourishing, right? And and so I, I believe for us as the church, for us as the people of God, we've got to critically look at the gods of our culture, the cathedrals we worship them in, and the liturgies and the patterns that they put in place for us. You know, a few years ago, we could at least like get on Netflix and just watch what we wanted to watch, right? Now, everything's like, you know, all the, we're all paying for cable again, right? Anybody else gotten mad about that before? Like, I thought I was done with this. And you got all these streaming services and you watch 15 minutes of ads to watch a 20 minute show, right? And, and what are they working on? Exasperated. <laughs> it works on the heart, doesn't work on the mind. Smithers, as we'll call him, uh, he says this talking about why advertising works. He says, maybe at least part of the reason they're happy, this is the people in the ads, has to do with what they're surrounded with. That sitcom dad has one of those mammoth chrome barbecues that could grill an entire side of beef in one go. Who wouldn't be happier with something like that? That commercial kid has the latest smartphone that keeps him connected at lightning speed. Who wouldn't be happier if it were easier to stay in touch with friends? That billboard mom has it all together. Her kids are smiling and seem remarkably obedient. She's coiffed and she's slim and she seems carefree. Surely that new minivan with a DVD player and the 14 cup holders has something (laughs) to do with it. What is it doing? It's playing on our desires. And and when we live into these things, we uncritically think these things, it forms our hearts to lust after and desire things that we do not need, to use the Will Smithism, to impress people that we do not like, right? Right? There's something that, that's happening. You know, there are so many forces of cultural habits and cultural liturgies that are not seeking to form us into the image of Christ, but are seeking to deform us so that we won't be agents of life, but will bring about death. A really religious way to ask this is what is worshiping these things presented our uh, What's the word? Producing. There we go. In us. It's producing anxiety. Anxiety disorders are at an all-time high. Some of that is because psychology has come a long way. We're starting to understand things deeper, things that we would just push under the rug now we're dealing with. But I think even deeper than that, anxiety disorders are at an all-time high because we're, we're living within these dopamine machines, right? that are flooding our brain with pleasure chemicals that are supposed to come when we accomplish things. 
but we're just constantly getting this hit. So what do we do? We go back for more and more and more and more. And what I have personally found is that when I'm spending way too much time on my phone, my anxiety levels go up, my frustration levels go up, I stop being present with the people around me, and it's like I can't even stop it, right? Anybody else relate to that? It's like I can't quit picking up my stinking phone, right? What else is it producing? Discontentment. I think if I'm really honest, most of the time, in my heart of hearts, it's like, what do I really want? The answer is just a little bit more, right? Disconnection. You know, whether we recognize it or not, these are all formative rituals that are trying to tell us something about what will ultimately satisfy us, right? That's what's at the heart of these things, is you'll be satisfied if you find these things. And as much as I want to go full desert monk as a community and say, guys, we're getting some land, you know, we're disconnecting, right? Jesus says the opposite. He says, be in the world, but don't be of it. Paul echoes it, and he says, don't be conformed by the patterns of the world, but by the renewing of your mind, be transformed. Point three, we must be transformed by what? Transformed by the renewing of our minds. We must be transformed by Christ. It's interesting, the Greek word for transformed, this one right here, is only found in Christian writing. It's not used in any other form of Greek literature, uh, and it means to change inwardly in fundamental character or condition. That sounds really good, doesn't it? You're like, yeah, I want me some of that. I want me some of that inward character change. But here's the question we have to ask. How? We all want to change. None of us in here are like, I'm a Jesus follower, and I don't want to change. I just want to live my same old life, have my same old struggles, right? So we have to ask the self how? How do we renew our minds? You know, Paul's view of the human person is incredibly nuanced. And, and what's clear is he sees that there's a clear connection between the heart, the mind, and the life. Here, here's what I found. It's not just by believing rightly or thinking rightly. It's by doing rightly that my heart changes and my life changes and my mind changes. Aristotle said this. He said, it's not by doing just acts that the just man is produced. Or it's, it is by, it is by doing just acts that the just man is produced. It's by doing temperate acts that the temperate man is produced. Without these things, no one would have even a prospect of coming good. James says it this way. He says, faith, if it does not have works, is what? Is dead. Here's the reality for me. I went through so much of my Christian life knowing that I needed to change. Who in here knows? It's like, you should read your Bible, right? Anybody? You ever heard that? I knew, like, hey, I should have a quiet time. Like, should, should do all this stuff. And so I always, like, I would just get started on it, and it would fizzle out, right? I'd get started on it, and it'd fizzle out. I can only sit there and pray things out of my mind for so long. I don't know. I know some of you guys are, like, intercessory prayer warriors, and you got, like, four hours in the tank. <laughs> but for me... When I sit there, like, five minutes can be tough, right? Anybody else? Am I alone? No? And so here's what I found is that there are lots of different uh, Christian traditions when it, when it comes to these sorts of things. And so there's some 
that rely all on the emotion, right? That's not bad, but they rely all on the emotion. But what can happen is when we rely all on the emotion, we throw out the intellectual tools that enable us to be shaped and formed and changed. And so I have a buddy who's, who's an Anglican pastor, and I'm talking about this and trying to get on this pathway and develop these spiritual disciplines. He goes, oh, you're talking about like the common book of prayer. What's that, <laughs> you know? And he's like, oh, it's you know, a couple hundred years old and it has all these prayers and all these pathways for prayer. And I'm like, yeah, I need me some of that, right? Why? Because all of us are looking for a track and a path for habits we can put in place so that we can be formed into what? The image of Christ. Here's what I want to submit to you. It's not just what we think. It's what we do that forms us into who we are. I I, I read this quote last week, but I want to read it again. Do you ever experience a gap between what you know and what you do? Anybody? Have you ever found that new knowledge and information doesn't seem to translate into a new way of life? Ever had the experience of hearing an incredibly illuminating, informative sermon on a Sunday? Have you guys? Okay, good. (laughs) And waking up Monday morning with new resolve and conviction to be different and already failing by Tuesday night. You're hungry for knowledge, you're thirsty, you drink up biblical ideas, you long to be Christ-like, yet all of that knowledge doesn't seem to translate into a new way of life. It seems we can't think our way into holiness. Why is that? It's because you forgot something. Is it because you forgot something? Is there some piece of knowledge you need to acquire? Is it because you're not thinking hard enough? It says, what if you're, it's because you're not just a thinking thing? What if the problem here is precisely the implicit model of the human person we've been working with in this whole approach to discipleship? You know, there, there, there was something that ancient Christians practiced called a rule of life. And these were certain disciplines that they put into their days, they put into their weeks, they put into their months, they put into their quarters, and they put into their years to help make sure that they're tracking in the direction they want to track. Why? Because habits form the heart, and the heart leads the life. And so if we want to grow into the image of Christ, we've got to put what in place? Habits. And so I've got something here. There's a QR code that they're going to throw up. Um, And it's only like five practices, but I want to encourage everybody, scan that real quick if you can, um, and jump into it. And guys, I, I didn't write all these. Some of these I pulled from other people. But there's daily declarations, things that are based on the word that you can sit down and you can read every day and say, hey, these are the things I'm going to commit to. There's pathways for prayers. Uh, I'm going to add in, uh, hopefully this week, some midday prayers, Um, some things you can sit down, just simple. Like, I'm sitting down with my lunch. I'm frustrated. I'm anxious. Be still and know that I'm God. Just moments. I have a buddy... um, And he says this, he says, everything in my work life is like a storm and I'm the boat and it's trying to loosen my anchor. (laughs) He was like, when I leave my house, everything is trying to loosen my anchor. And he said, my spiritual disciplines are the things that keep the chain tight. I love that. I love that picture. And so what we want to put in place in our life, guys, is things that we do daily, weekly, and this isn't going to be one week, we're going to do this every week, daily, weekly, quarterly, annual practices, things that we can put in place to help us be formed into the image of Christ. Does that sound good? Does that sound helpful? Um, Okay, 
Um, here, here's the thing we have to look at. Um, we we want to put these habits in place, but I also want to give you guys some tools. Like we, we talked about social media. We talked about devices. I want to give you guys some things that I've found in my life that have really helped me. Because if we're going to put in new habits, we've got to know what we're replacing, right? And know what we're fighting. And so um, let's get really practical. How do we war against the cultural liturgy of internet formation, okay? Number one, we have to recognize the problem. Uh, We have to be mindful of how it's separating you from others and it's separating us from the people we want to be. So that's number one, recognize it's a problem. Number two, set your time limit on it. Set a time limit on it. You have to recognize your cravings for it and war against them. Here's my recommendation. If you have an app that is eating your lunch, set app limits. Go in. If you have an iPhone, I don't know how to do it on Android. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Figure it out. Google it. Uh, But go in. You can go to your app limits, and you can can set um, time limits. But here's what I found. I am so weak that I'm just going to say, give me more time, and I'm going to put in the code, right? And so I, I asked Callie, I was like, hey, you know, will you, will you put in the code? And she said, I'm not going to be your mom. Ask Nathan. And so I said, okay. And so uh, Nathan back there at the sound booth, he's, he's got the code, and it sets the app limits. And y'all, when I'm done with my one hour of social media, it sit there. You, when you're putting your toddler down and down for bed, and they're watching a show, and you say, it's time for bed, what do they say? One more minute, right? It literally pops up and it says, would you like one more minute? It's like, yes, I would like one more minute. And just, you know, going through, getting your last minute or whatever. Uh, but, but here's what I found, y'all. I'm not strong enough in, in my own will. And you may be, and I'm, I, I want to be like you. Uh, I, I have to put limits, force limits on myself. And honestly, as I'm going through this, I'm about to increase some limits because I'm like, gosh, you know, I've, I've got too much time on this or whatever. I was reviewing my screen time going into this. Um, set a time limit for it. Um, and, and, you know, a, another thing that, that I, I would do, number three, is l- look for real relationships and disconnect from the devices when you're together. Something that we used to do when we would go out and we'd hang out, we'd do a phone pile. Has anybody ever done that? Is that Joe? Oh, good, I'm about to make fun of you. Uh, wait, no, that's a different message. Dang it. Okay. Um, make a phone pile, and whoever grabs their phone first has to cover dinner. That'll keep your hand off the phone, right? Until you all agree, okay, we're done, we can grab the phone. Number four. I think we should rename smartphones. I, I, I was reading, I think it's too positive. I was reading a, uh, <laughs> I was reading an article and here's the possible contenders they gave. They said digital leash, <laughs> handheld handcuffs, the mindless rectangle, the time thief, or for the nerds, Lord of the Ring nerds, the mobile Mordor, all right? <laughs> Number five, slowly but surely replace that time with healthy biblical liturgies, healthy biblical habits. And so I want to give you a few. Um, one, I, y'all, this, is the, this has been the best one for me, um, is Sabbath. If you've been around our church for a while, you've heard me talk about it. Um, 
Christ says that uh, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. What does that mean? This isn't a have to, this is a get to. This isn't something you have to do. Like God is not going to be mad at you, but it's something that he's written into the laws of our world that if we take a day and rest and we say, he's God, I'm not, the world's going to keep spinning without me, and you have a day of enjoyment, I'm telling you, you are going to be so much more full and productive those other six days. I used to take pride in working every day of the week. I used to take pride and how many hours I put in, and bragging about 100-hour weeks. And you know what? It was destroying my soul. And here's what I've actually found. I'm way more productive in six days of work than I am in seven. And so, you know, it's a little hard right now. We've got twins. Uh, they're right at one. It's getting a little easier. Uh, but, you know, we'll go to the zoo. We'll take the kids to the zoo. And I remember one day, uh, we were at the zoo, and I was looking at the tigers, and there was a tiger laying in the sun. And I was like, today, I am that tiger. You know? <laughs> I'm soaking in. I'm soaking in the vitamin D. I'm, it's my tiger in the sun day. You know, that's my Sabbath. So do what you love. Cook something good, you know? If you don't have any money, go for a walk in the park. Just enjoy and, and try not to consume. Have that be a day where you're not driven by advertising. Yo, this is a weakness for me. I'll get on there. I'll get to shopping and be like, it's my day off. I'm going to shop. You know, I'm going to, you know, whatever. What does it do? It stirs up discontentment. Uh, and so be careful. You know, guard your heart in that day. But make that a day where you enjoy. Enjoy with your family. Um, uh, slowly and surely replace that other time with healthy time. I'm telling you, you cut out television shows, you are going to get so bored, you're going to start hanging out with people. We did this a few years ago in one of our ministries. We said, let's do a week of you know, no social media, you know, no streaming, and everybody bought in. And y'all, the, the hangouts we had were so rich. It's robbing us of so much community. So that's something that you can slowly but surely put in is a night of the week where you hang out with friends. Um, add in prayer. I recommend making it fixed. Um, I've got a guy that I work out with early in the morning, which means I have to wake up really early in the morning if I'm going to get my quiet time in. And so my alarm goes off at 4.45, and my goal is to be out of bed at 5, get in my hour, hour and a half with God, then I work out at 6.30. And what's been happening is I've been getting up a little bit later every day, right? Now, I'm not going to miss 6.30. When it's 6.30, like, I'm going to be there. But here's what hit me, and y'all, this is not guilt. It was conviction. It's different. <laughs> I realized I was keeping my appointment with my buddy, but I was missing my appointment with God. And what I actually realized, the reason I recognized it so much is because it was doing something in my heart. I was losing peace, right? Fixed prayer. Um, in the morning, in the middle of the day, in the evening. Um, there's one in there, it's called a path for prayer. Uh, if you've got it, throw the QR code back up. Uh, path for prayer. Um, you, you can go through this every night and you can... Get in God's presence. Take you 10 minutes. Review the day with gratitude. Examine your motives and your actions. Uh, thank God for his grace and pray for the courage to change. And go to bed at peace. Fasting. Um, denying yourselves things you, you feel like you need so you can focus on what you really need. You know, it's a good thing. Um, food, social media fast. Everybody in here probably has different convictions on this, and we have a rehab. So if you're in a rehab, this is 24-7 for you. 
but you know, they do some, in secular culture, they do something called dry January. Not bad to cut alcohol out every once in a while, right? And recognize, like, man, what am I running to when I'm stressed? Things like that. So we want to recognize what we worship. We want to avoid being conformed to the patterns of the world so that we can be transformed by Christ. And when that happens, when we're formed by Christ, we can walk out God's renewing will in our world. Romans 12, the end of verse 2. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Big question we all have, right, is what's God's will for my life? I'm telling you, the best way to discover God's will is to get on a path of discipleship, of becoming like him, putting patterns in your life where you're talking to him, you're replacing destructive things that distract your heart with healthy things that form your heart into the image of Christ. I'm telling you, his will gets so much clearer. We talked about it last week. We're to seek first what? The kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? It's anywhere where God's sovereign rule exists. And so, y'all, when we submit our habits and our rhythms to God, his sovereign rule comes and it covers our lives. Where God's will is done, God's kingdom has come, right? And our heartbeat as a church and as a people is, God, let your kingdom come in my life as it is in heaven. God, let your kingdom come in my home as it is in heaven. God, let your kingdom come in my neighborhood as it is in heaven. God, let your kingdom come in Little Rock, in North Little Rock, in Maumel, wherever you live as it is in heaven. Let it come under your sovereign, renewing will. So to close, go back through it. Habits shape humans, right? And so we want to form our heart to desire God. We have to f- change our habits. We have to become aware of the cultural liturgies, what we're truly worshiping, what it's doing for us, put a plan in place, and start to combat and push back those patterns. Your church is the spiritual liturgy that shapes your hearts and longing for God's kingdom. It's the number one competitor. The church, the relationships, the gathering, all that kind of stuff. Small groups are another really good one. Fasting, all the stuff we talked about, Sabbath. And so here's what I want you to do. We're gonna have a little bit of time of reflection and response. And I just want everybody to close your eyes and just to begin to examine your life. And let's invite God in. Come Holy Spirit just in these last few moments we have together. We'd ask that you'd speak to us. And if you're comfortable, just get in a good, comfortable posture. Open your palms. Just in a posture of receiving and relaxation. And just in your heart or out loud, just say, come Holy Spirit. Reveal to us the things that are after our affections, God. Just take a moment, guys, and, and, and review. What do you spend most of your time? Is, is there anything that as I was going through it, it was like, oof, that's something that's, that's got a hold of me. The worship team's gonna be moving forward. Don't worry, they won't look at you. But just take a moment. Anything that came to mind for you, I want to ask you this. 
if God's speaking you on, on anything, what's he asking you to do about it? Maybe restricting time, maybe opening up to somebody. Yo, I had a lot of that this week. Talking to my wife, one of my best friends, just saying, hey, my heart's gotten a little deformed in these areas. What habits and practices do you think you could go out this week and put in place? Because remember, guys, this is not a six-month journey. This is a lifelong journey of becoming like Jesus. We do it with grace. We do it with peace. God, reveal to us the ways that we can grow. God, give us strength and courage to make the steps. And God, help us become your people. Help us become your people who bring life and renewal to the world that we're in. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Hey guys, thanks for listening in. I hope that this message blessed you and it helps you in your journey with Jesus. If it did, leave a comment, leave a review. Things like that help us spread the message of Jesus. Uh, if you want to connect with us, the best way to do that is to follow us on Instagram at, at NLC Downtown Little Rock to follow along with the life of our church.